0: Welcome to EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today's episode is part of our new series entitled Executive Spotlight. Today's guest from Verizon Frontline is Mr. Corey Davis. Corey is the vice president of Verizon Frontline. With nearly 20 years of advanced wireless industry experience and nearly a decade supporting public safety communications, he and his team are dedicated to ensuring first responders have the network and solutions they need to meet their unique and evolving needs. His team is responsible for Verizon Frontline Public safe strategy, operations, and the overall customer experience for more than thirty-seven thousand public safety agencies across the nation, helping enable them to accomplish the mission under both routine and extreme conditions. Corey, thanks for jumping on with us today.
1: Hey, thanks, Mike. The pleasure's all mine.
0: All right, listen. I'm going to jump. I'm just going to shoot right into this with a layup for you. All right. So I'm going to ask you in the simplest terms, what is Verizon Frontline?
1: Yeah, you got it, Mike. So Verizon Frontline is our commitment to delivering reliable and resilient mission critical communications solutions to the public safety community. So for 30 years, we've been supporting first responders with an award-winning network that's enabled with features like priority and preemption. And then we also provide public safety with access to a dedicated crisis response team and best-in-class 24-7 support. So in a nutshell, that's Verizon Frontline.
0: Okay, let me ask you a question though, because we're we're simpletons in this industry. Why is it important for us? And when I say us, I mean EMS, important to know about you, Verizon Frontline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I think at the end of the day, you know, Verizon Frontline, like I said, this has nearly been a 30-year partnership with the first responder community. And Verizon Frontline today has more first responders than any other network provider, hands down. So we support 37,000 public safety agencies across the the country. And part of the reason, Mike, um, why we've we've, we've earned that trust with over 37,000 public safety agencies across the country is because Verizon Frontline can deliver reliability, redundancy, backup, and security first responders need in no ways any other provider can. So let me just give you a couple um, examples here. We have nearly 80% generator penetration at all of our macro sites. So those are the big macro towers. So that means that if one of those sites were to go down because of commercial uh, power failure, we have generators that back that up. Now, 100% of those sites are backed up by battery. So we literally have a backup to the backup to ensure that continuity for our agencies. And then we have nearly 600 deployable assets that we can deploy across the country for responders, first responders during a crisis response. So we've built all of that into um you know into our offering. We've invested <clears throat> billions of dollars over the last 20 years, literally hundreds of billions of dollars over the last 20 years to ensure that our customers have a reliable and resilient connection when they're out there trying to meet their mission.
0: Now, talk to me a little bit about how is this, how does this lay out as far as, is this done as a subscription, almost as a preemptive type thing, as opposed to doing it in an emergency type setting? How, how do they offset each
1: other? Yeah, so it, it's always on. So all of these features um, that that we enable for our customers, like I said, the priority preemption quality of service, um, to get them first in line, to get them connected to our network first above and beyond the the general commercial traffic, that is all built in. So there's nothing that they need to do. It's all driven by, um, you know, their 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 price plan, their calling plan that they subscribe to. You know, they don't need a, a different SIM. They don't need to do anything different on the back end. As soon as day one, as soon as they get activated with Verizon Frontline, they're good to go.
0: Now. Nope. The public safety comms survey. I know that we had spoken about this a little bit offline and some of the things that were identified. Number one, uh, you know, when we talk about public safety, uh, it's obviously police, fire, and EMS. But I will tell you that a lot of times EMS kind of gets left out. So I'm curious, was EMS specific in this survey? And what did the survey, you know, look towards? What was it looking for specifically?
1: Yeah, so this is this is really the third year that we've conducted this survey, and and what we did is we took, um, you know, we took uh, respondents from all facets of public safety, so think fire, EMS, uh, uh, police, nine one one dispatch, and really some of the key findings were, are, was mostly around five G and network reliability as being top priorities. So for example. Uh, Mike, nearly 80% of the survey respondents identified 5G as either a top priority or an important priority uh, for their agency in the future. Um, And with our access to the total amount of C-band spectrum that we acquired in an auction in in 2021, now we can move more quickly to enhance what we call our 5G ultra-wideband nationwide network which is more than doubling and tripling in some markets, the bandwidth that is available to serve our customers. So um, why is that important to the EMS world or even the public safety world in general is what we're hearing not only from the survey, but as we're out uh, working side by side with these agencies is today's world is all about data. Everything that these agencies are doing is they're pumping all of that data either to the cloud or they need to communicate through data, through CAD systems, dispatch, et cetera. So it's highly, highly important that these agencies, like EMS agencies, they have that reliable connection, and then they have a pipe that's big enough to serve their needs. Um, As you know, um, things like um, real-time situational awareness through video and high-definition video for security, whatever, uh, uh, whatever the mission is out there. There's a huge, huge appetite for that right now in the marketplace. And to be able to deliver on that, you need to have spectrum holdings, and you need to have the capacity and the pipe to provide those services. And Verizon frontline can do that like no other provider can today.
0: Talk to me a little bit about, you know, staying in that EMS realm and some of the things that we're looking forward about like telemetry, you know, like those types of things. And how does that factor into the 5g factor?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, with with telemetry, I think what we're seeing with 5G is it's still kind of around that, uh, you know, that network reliability, that resiliency, um, you know, having uh, that situational awareness, whether it's dots on the map, whether it's a safety, you know, where are my people, um, where do I need them to go? How do I direct them? Um, We're also seeing um, where this technology can also, also help drive efficiencies. Um, where in traditional old legacy systems, there's a lot of paperwork that's involved. Now a lot of that paperwork can be mitigated It can be done, you know, either through a smartphone or through a tablet online, through a form or an application. And then that information is immediately transported up to their cloud services or back to their HQ or whoever they're responding to, to maintain that continuity. Like, for example, you know, there's a lot of uh, agencies out there, a lot of fire agencies that we deal with, where they kind of have that quasi fire EMS. And they're using a lot of patient care applications, uh, specifically like on tablet devices. So it's very, very important that that communication from in the field is getting from the firefighter to the ambulance to the healthcare facility, et cetera, with no interruptions.
0: Well, I'm glad you bring that up because I'd like to touch upon the mobility factor uh, and what came up in the communications survey. Because something that was interesting that you had told me about was smartphones and their dominance and how that's, that looks like it's waning.
1: Yeah, what's interesting is is when we uh, when we, when we did this um, last year, we saw that that the smartphone uh, uh, reliance was actually increasing, and now we're seeing that um, our customers they're still relying heavily on smartphones, but now they're relying on um, other technologies like drones. Or robotics. And we're actually seeing some agencies out there um, across the country that are sending drones as a first responder. And some of these agencies are sending drones out almost at a 50% rate uh, before they're sending out um, a human or their public safety professional uh, personnel out there so that they can gather that intel, they can gather that in- intelligence. And not have to send uh, a human being or human capital into a bad situation uh, so that they can calculate, you know, what does the situation look like? How do we need to respond to the situation? And really take those analytics in real time to make smart and safe calculated decisions.
0: Wow. that That's pretty interesting in itself, the whole drone type approach? Like, I know that that's becoming a thing now in in just about everything, you know, between AI and drones and everything else. But do you think that this is potentially the future of our our public safety industry? Not to say that it's going to replace, obviously, public servants, but is it something to augment us? You know, and do you think that it's something that we're going to start to see in more and more agencies? Is it cost prohibitive? You know, how does this lay out, you know, as we move into the future?
1: I do. I do. And I I think not only Mike with uh, drones and robotics, we're also seeing an uptick in AR and VR. So, you know, specifically, you know, for example, only 5% of the respondents say that they use augmented reality applications today, but almost a quarter said that they anticipated using AR and VR daily in the next five years.
0: So but how does that play out? I don't mean to cut you off, but I want to build upon that. How does that play out? How are they going to implement that?
1: Yeah, so so what they're finding is, and think about it, the military or you know um, commercial pilots, they've been using AR, these flight simulators, uh, war simulators for a very, very long time. And what we're seeing is public safety is starting to adapt similar training methods so that, again, just like the robotics scenario, they're able to put people their people in these real life scenarios and now the technology is getting better we're able to provide the pipe that's big enough that has low enough latency to essentially make these scenarios almost real time right and and you really feel like you're immersed in the in the situation and the event and this gives them you know that muscle memory um it gives them the ability to react without any harm. So, you know, as you know, you know, being in the space, muscle memory is part of it and reacting fast and swiftly and smart is also very qu- critical. So we're finding these agencies are using AR VR to really um, help from a safety perspective, but also make sure that, that when they get out there, their the response is the right one, right? Um, we're seeing this also with, uh, not only with responding to like uh, crisis situations, but also like uh, mental health situations that are out there as well. Um, you know, talking to somebody that's potentially going to jump off a bridge or something, right? You're able to have these conversations and 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 have these experiences and these scenarios in a real life kind of situation without actually being there.
0: That's really interesting. You know, I feel like technology is we rely so heavily on technology, but I would say the vast majority of providers in, in public service and in public safety, you know, don't understand it very well. So do you feel that awareness and recognition of your product are lacking in the public service sector, specifically in EMS?
1: Well, I, I don't know if it'd be lacking. What what I think that might be lacking, um, Mike, is is the capabilities, right? I, I, th- I think what's happening, well, I don't think, I know what's happening is, you know, the ecosystem is getting bigger right there's more and more partners there's more and more applications there's more and more connections by the day that we're seeing right you look at a squad car or a a police cruiser you know a lot of law enforcement agencies are 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 really working towards that cruiser as a hub and I could see that for ambulance services etc where that hub is, is is a hub for many many connections whether it's a, a like a, a laptop connection with connected through a laptop, uh, body worn cameras, drone visibilities, uh, license plate readers, you know, you name it, the list can go on. Um, but what we're seeing is this appetite for kind of a one to many, and and again, I don't think it's really the um, awareness of Verizon Frontline, but more around how can we. You know, take all of those partnerships, that ecosystem, integrate them, and then at Verizon, we can provide that network and that capacity needed to ensure that these agencies have zero downtime. Because we understand that in this world, literally every second counts.
0: Are you seeing more uh, of a reliance on Verizon frontline and the technology? in the mobile integrated healthcare space in the tele telehealth, telemedicine type area? Yeah, we're seeing it everywhere.
1: And we're seeing that the um, you know the, the public safety space is growing, right? right? And what we're also seeing is as, you know, there's there's more, I shouldn't say there's more, but there there there's more intense um, you know, weather activity that's happening out there you know we saw um, a hurricane in the pacific this year went from a tropical storm to a cat five in literally 12 hours so you know we're seeing a lot of things out there where you know there's more of a demand there's more of a focus around this public safety crisis response um model and and the pie is getting bigger um, because what, what these agencies are finding is the more that they inject technology into their process, the more efficient they are, the smarter that they can be. And then they can aggregate all of this data to really you know, put together uh, very strategic plans for the future. So not only is it helping them you know, drive efficiencies with budgets and with uh, personnel, etc., but it's also helping to build that trust and transparency with the community. Right. Um, So that 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 is truly this kind of one, um, you know, this one organization, one effort to ensure that the community is getting what they needed from a healthcare, from a law enforcement perspective, et cetera.
0: There are a lot of networks out there right now and technology platforms, you know, and I think that there's a lot of misinformation. I'm curious, what are some of the bigger myths that are out there
1: that you maybe could bring some clarity to? Yeah, sure. I I think there, you're right. There's a lot of myths out there. You know, I think, I think one of them that we hear a lot is, you know, that there's some networks out there that are mandated by the federal government, or that there are uh, networks out there that are, you know, truly dedicated only for public safety, which, you know, there are some out there in the LMR world, of course. Um, But at the end of the day, um, I think what it comes down to is, is everybody has a choice. Um, nobody is mandated to subscribe to one network or another, and really the decision should be based on um, you know the reliability and the resiliency in their area, um, you know, and and that's how you know if I was a CIO or a chief, uh, you know, um, I, that's how I would make my purchasing decision is you know who has the best network, and then who has the best people. Right, you know, for example, uh, Verizon Frontline has a dedicated uh, crisis response team, and this team has responded to more than fifteen hundred responses to requests for support across the country this year alone, and we've been able to provide over six thousand solutions. And 800 agency and supported um, 800 agencies across all 50 states, including Washington D.C. Now, why is this important? Because not only does this team support Verizon frontline customers, but if we get a call from another provider and they need communications help because their provider is down, we will help them. So we understand that in the middle of a crisis, everybody needs to be wearing the same jersey. Everybody needs to be trying to help each other out. So we are very agnostic in that sense when it comes down to a crisis situation, and I really feel like that's a big differentiator, too, on what Verizon Frontline can provide. Like, this team is literally 24 by 7 made up of former first responders, so they understand the mission, and they understand how critical it is for these agencies to have mission-critical communications 24-7. That's
0: great. And I want to stick with that because, you know, obviously when, when bad things happen as responders, we just rally and we go. And so, you know, you're, you're basically in line with that. I am personally a visual learner. So I need to see. And almost feel how things work. So I'm curious if you could provide some specific use cases, you know, obviously not giving the jurisdiction or the municipality, but some of the specific use cases that have happened recently so that we can understand how the Verizon um, frontline network assisted to remedy these issues.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give a good example. A recent example here um, is, is, is the Maui fires, right? The, the, the tragic event that happened in Lahaina uh, back in August, where um, literally the entire town burned to the ground. Um, this started with a hurricane that was actually 500 miles south um, with really, really strong winds. Um, but at the end of the day, Um, What happened is, is it literally shut down communication services, commercial power for the entire west side of Maui Um, Verizon, we plan for days like this, like I said, 24 seven, we also uh, integrate in tabletops and joint training exercises, and we exercise for days like this on a daily basis as well, or, or yearly basis. So what we were able to provide uh, were uh, multiple solutions from a deployable perspective, right? Like I I mentioned those 600 assets, we have them already staged in on the island today. So we were able to get those assets out quick. So first responders could immediately start the search and rescue missions and really start to be able to communicate with each other right away. Because literally everything went down on that west side of the, the island because Lahaina was really that center point Uh, for all communications, whether it was local fiber providers from landline services to power to um, uh, wireless uh, carriers, et cetera. Um, We were also able to provide things like uh, flying. We talked about drones. Well, what we do is we put cells on drones. So what we were able to do is um, in some of the most or more populated areas that needed service right away is instead of rolling a, a large asset into the area, We're able to put a drone up in about 45 minutes that can provide either a 4G or a 5G um, bubble area for these uh, uh, first responders and the local community. So then they can communicate back to the um, to whoever they need to communicate with. So we have multiple solutions, multiple things in our tool belt. Um, where we can come in during a crisis situation or even a planned event uh, to ensure that these agencies have that continuity and that they don't miss a step and they're able to complete that mission. So, again, I, there's there's multiple uh, examples out there, Mike, but, you know, Maui's probably uh, the closest from a national perspective that I think people would understand. And I'll tell you one more thing about Maui before we move on is there was over a thousand federal uh, uh, agents on Maui during that response as well. So this was a huge not only for the state and local community, but also a federal response too, where we engaged with agencies like, you know, FEMA, the National Guard, the Coast Guard, uh, the the U.S. Army, et cetera. So it's truly uh, an all in mission where we need to be calibrated and on the same page and aligned with capabilities with all of those partners that were coming into the island as well.
0: That's really cool. And, and you obviously say, stated that these were already on the island, some of these assets. I'm curious, if these aren't prepositioned, some of these assets, what is the turnaround to mobilize assets into areas where they're not prepositioned?
1: Yeah, so obviously with with Maui, it's a different situation, right? Because it's one of the most landlocked um, areas in the world, right? So so we had to fly. We had to actually get um, you know flights to fly some of the assets out there to um, you know get some of these uh, sites back up. But I can tell you across the country uh, for my group, depending on the situation, right? So how we. Um, aligned my team is that my team can get to basically any metro area within about a six hour drive and then we will commit to our customers that we were able to augment the network or stand up network in an area uh, that previously didn't have it for first responders so think like a mobile command or an EOC we can do that in about 12 hours. Um, now some of these bigger assets that we need to uh, bring in like from a from a community perspective that would support a, a larger volume of users outside of public safety that could take you know a, a day or two to to deliver that but my team when it comes to mission critical for public safety we can get those solutions up in about 12 hours. It
0: really is amazing. Uh, you know, again, how ignorant
1: some of us are, but it's just
0: insane the, the capabilities that are out there and what you folks bring. Um, as I pivot here, and, and, you know, this is the executive spotlight segment. Personally, before I let you go, Corey, I'd like to know as a VP, what drives you? What motivates you in this setting?
1: Yeah, that's that's a great uh, that's a great uh, question here, Mike. Um, I, I would say my team. You know, it's the people, not only my team, but the people and the people that we uh, interact with. I can tell you that you know everybody on this team is mission focused, uh, partly because you know a lot of them served in one way or another. Uh, but truly, this team is passionate in ensuring that first responders. Have mission critical communications 24 by 7. Uh, we've spent a lot of time out in the field. You know, we've spent a lot of time at these disasters, whether it's Maui, whether it's Hurricane Ian last year, which was a Cat Five, where all of Fort Myers Beach was completely devastated. Um, so we understand the impact. Um, so I think at the end of the day, to answer that question, Mike is, you know, it's got to be my people, and then obviously the agencies that we interact with on a daily basis. Um, It really it's really what gets me up in the morning um, because I know that we have the technology and the tools and the people to help and to help fill those communication gaps, Uh, because we all know that once communications go down, the whole operation is in jeopardy. Right. There's no situational awareness. There's no COP communications is literally number one and critical in any type of response. And I think with that, and, you know, knowing today, uh, as today, as we're doing this podcast, tomorrow is Veterans Day, I really want to take a time to thank all the veterans um, across the country for truly, um, you know, for truly giving the ultimate sacrifice, all the men and women out there, um, and all the first responders that on a daily basis, you know, put their lives in jeopardy to keep our community safe healthy and protected, you know, I can't thank them enough for all the great work that they're doing out there on a daily basis.
0: I could not agree with you more, Corey. I want to second that there is a a brotherhood and a sisterhood that exists in our realm that is second to none. So to the veterans, to the first responders, we're all one and thank you. And Corey, I want to thank you for joining us on our executive spotlight segment without question, network reliability and connectivity are always going to be incredibly important to the industry. I want to thank you and your team for giving us the tools that we rely on so heavily on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mike. And you stay safe out there. I appreciate all you guys are doing out there as well.
0: And thank you for listening to our executive spotlight segment. Stay tuned for future executive interviews, as well as our regular clinical and operational episodes. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. See you soon on the next EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.